perfect gift that comes from above, Lord God. You are truly the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord God, I ask that you speak to your people. Give them a word of encouragement, Lord God. Hide me behind your cross. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, something interesting, uh, about today's passage, uh, I had decided probably about four or five years into preaching, uh, I think I've been preaching somewhere around 10 years, something like that, but about four or five years into preaching, I was going to start preaching from the lectionary so that I could uh, increase my own biblical literacy. And if you use the lectionary and you pick the Old Testament one year and maybe the New Testament another year and another the Psalm the next and maybe one of the epistles, you, you kind of work over it. And I did that with the express thought of maybe going, uh, I don't know, 10, 12 years without preaching on the same passage. But I've actually preached this passage before. I preached it before I became a lectionary preacher. Uh, strangely enough, I preached it in Freeport, Illinois, at my grandmother's home church, St. Paul Missionary Baptist Church. But uh, even though I've preached the passage before, I found new things every time I go back to the word. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk a little bit about the struggle and the scars. I have a bit of an aversion to seeing my children stand up on furniture. I don't like to see them jump on the bed. I don't like to see them stand on the couch. I don't like to see them try to, to, to get on the ottoman or any of this other furniture. I get a little tense when I see that. My blood pressure spikes just a ski taste. I have an aversion to seeing it, not only because it's dangerous, but because I have a scar to remind me of such decisions. You can't see it unless you get right up on my face, but I have a scar about this big right in between my eyebrows. I've had it since I was about three or four. Uh, I was over at my grandmother's house and uh, Grandma had one of those metal fold-out beds for guests, and I was jumping up and down on the bed. Somehow, my feet did not land back on the bed one time, and I went face first onto the side of the bed. my head down the middle. Wasn't no blood, just a little white spot. And my dad, looking at the situation, said, this thing needs to bleed 
or it's going to clot up. So he then took it and busted it so it could bleed. And now everybody's in a panic. We go to the hospital. Doctor stitches me back up. Everything's good. No, no brain damage or anything like that. But ever since then, I didn't jump on the bed no more. What I'm saying is, is I have a scar that is a reminder of something tough that I've been through. And because I have this scar, it informs the way I move or don't move. Sometimes it makes me make a good decision. Sometimes it makes me make a bad decision. Sometimes it makes me push forward. Sometimes it makes me freeze and hold back. But the scar is a reminder of a struggle. And sometimes when we are reminded of a struggle or we have a particular scar going on, it will prevent us from doing something that might actually help us. We might have an aversion to certain things and that will prevent us from talking to certain people. That will prevent us from making certain decisions in certain situations. I saw an interesting study about football not too long ago. Uh, There was um, a study done about risk taking. And and, and they they did this study about fourth down and one. Uh, For those who aren't familiar with football, I don't know if there would be that many people in the great state of Texas, but um, you get four downs to get 10 yards. And it's first and ten. And if you get five yards off the first play, then it's second and five. Uh, If you get nine yards, it's second and one. But fourth and one, if you don't get that one yard, the other team gets the ball where you didn't make it. And so this thing talks about convention. It it talks about uh, um, different things. And conventional wisdom in fourth and one says that you punt in that situation punt the ball downfield so that the men so that the other team will have a further distance to score and and, and that's the safe play to do that's the conservative play to do and and most coaches on fourth and one unless it's a do or die situation punt no matter if they're up or down whether it's a blowout Or it's not. But there was an economist by the name of David Romer from the University of California. He put together some data that said that that was actually not the right thing to do. Uh, Romer's research concluded that on average teams that take the risk of going for it on fourth and down seem to win more games than they lose. Uh, it's good news for fans who always want somebody to go for it on fourth and one. But Romer, Romer says that the fans might be too conservative. His calculations showed that teams going for it regular, regularly on fourth and down, whether it was early in the game or it was late in the game, whether the score was tied or, or whatever was scored, there was independent analysis shown, uh, research that showed that the results of uh, all of that said that it was better to go for it. Don't let conventional wisdom stop you from pursuing a promotion. Don't let conventional wisdom stop you from going forward. But even when that data was presented to the coaches, hey, you have a much more mathematical chance of winning the game if you go for it on fourth and one as opposed to punting, the coaches still punted. 
people will do things trying to protect themselves. Sometimes we allow fear to freeze us. Sometimes we allow fear or the, the memory of a past pain to prevent us from going forward when that should not be the case. Uh, that brings us to a man by the name of Jacob. Uh, the one that was read in your hearing, the younger brother of Esau. And in the text that we read, what's going on is Jacob is preparing to meet his brother Esau. Uh, Jacob and Esau haven't talked in a while. They twin brothers, but they didn't have the best of relationships. They didn't have the best situation going on at this time is one of uh, one of many many colorful stories that had to deal with Jacob because Jacob and Esau did not get along very well Jacob uh, stole Esau's birthright and his blessing Uh, Jacob his name was a meant trickster or one who takes by the heel. They, they were twins and they were born. And, and, and Esau was born first. But Jacob came on the way out. When he was coming out of, uh, of the birth canal being born. He had Esau's foot hanging on. So that from birth there was family drama. Uh, these, and, and, and Jacob, this, this Jacob, he who takes by the heel. He who plants uh, with the help of his mother stole something of Esau's. They put together this plan where he would dress up like Esau because Esau was hairy. When Isaac, when Isaac was about to pass away, uh, he, he wanted some, some food cooked by Esau. Esau was a good hunter, but Esau was hairy. So uh, Jacob went out and got some food and put on this, this hairy this outfit to look like him because Isaac couldn't see anymore. And he tricked his own father into stealing something from his brother. So they did not have the best relationship to the point that Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Uh, If you ever want to know about family drama, you do not have to turn on cable TV. It's plenty of drama right here. You got people stealing inheritances. You got people here with with drama ready to kill people. It's all in the Bible. And Jacob ran away. He did not want Esau to kill him. And so he ran away. And he went to his mother's brother's or his uncle's place, Laban. And in there, even though Jacob had tricked Esau to get ahead, Laban tricked Jacob to get ahead. I remember growing up and they would say what goes around comes around. And so he tricked them and get ahead and eventually he got out of that situation. But he was he came out of that situation with some money and some some livestock and two wives and some servants. And he had made all right for himself. But he ended up tricking his uncle. And so he tricked his uncle and he had to run away from his uncle. And with no place to go, he decided, I may want to try to go back home. And so he returns to Canaan. And while en route to going back to Canaan, he he learns that his brother is coming towards him. Oh, we heard Jacob is on his way back. We're going to go out and meet him on the way. 
And so Jacob thought about this stuff and he, he came, but he feared the worst. So he took his considerable entourage and, and, and sent them ahead of him, hoping that that would calm Esau down. And that's all what's going on before we get to the part of the reading. You have a man who came up on his brother and almost died. And then again, and when he, after he finished coming up on his brother, he came up on, 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 on his uncle and had to leave there. And all of this is going on and he's trying to go back home. And, is, and he hears about this army advancing for him. That's all what happened in the background before we got to the part of the reading where we're at the river Jabbok. Uh, he, he, he's, uh, the Jabbok River is, is an is a eastern tributary of the Jordan. And, and it's mentioned seven times in the Bible. In the first seven books of the Old Testament. And he sent this elaborate gift. This elaborate gift. Uh, 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 and went out of his way with the livestock and, and, the, and his wives and his servants hoping that that would calm his brother down. Jacob's life has been a perpetual struggle. He struggled being born. He struggled with his father. He struggled with his brother. He struggled with his uncle. He struggled with his two wives. He struggled and with his children later on. And, 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 and everything happened because of struggle. And so we got this struggle going on and then what's going on with all this happening. And Jacob is in a panic. Let the church say panic. panic. Uh, the last words Jacob, uh, Jacob actually heard from Esau in Genesis 27, 41 is that he planned to kill his brother Jacob. I can only imagine having to go back to the place you never thought that you'd have to go back and you burnt bridges on the way out. Oh, I've been told, you know, they say that you got to be careful how you treat people when you climb the ladder of success. You got to be careful how you treat people when you're going up because the same people you're going to see on the way up will be the same people that you'll see on the way down. I've worked jobs where somebody made fun of me for working at that job. And lo and behold, a couple years later, they trying to get on on the same job. You got to be careful how you treat people. And so Jacob was in a panic, and rightfully so. His, he's done wrong, and his life was in danger. But Jacob's proper response to panic was prayer. Let the church say prayer. Ah, uh, yes, Jacob went, from, Jacob went from panic to prayer. Jacob had a promise from the Lord that he would be able to turn, return to his father's house in peace. In, in, in Genesis 28, when he fled from uh, Esau, he was on his way out, and he stopped one place to, have a, to, 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 to rest for the night, and he laid his head on a stone. And in Genesis 28, he saw this going on, and he had these visions during the dream that there was a ladder that was uh, coming down from heaven and he saw angels coming up and down that ladder and he had a prayer and he prayed to God and God promised him they call that Jacob's ladder but God promised him that he would be able to return to his house in peace and so in his panic he remembered his prayer Uh, when he was at Bethel and he had this place that he laid down he laid a stone and put an altar down to remember what had happened to mark the place of worship and mark this vision that he had seen from God and he had that self and he was reminded of what happened. Oh, if we could spend more time in prayer when we get panicked. Oh, if we could spend more time in prayer 
when things are going wrong. Oh, if we could spend more time in prayer when we got these testy situations, these things running our blood pressure up, these things stressing us out, these things causing us to argue with people and jump out. Oh, if we could spend some more time in prayer. The Bible says in Colossians 4 and 2 to continue in prayer and watching the same thanksgiving. First Thessalonians tells us to pray without ceasing. Yeah. Psalms 102 tells us to regard the, that God regards the prayer of the destitute and will not despise their prayer. Come in here, Philippians. Uh, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We ought to be able to bring these things to God in prayer. Have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about your troubles. He'll hear the faintest cry and he'll answer by and by. Feel the little prayer wheel turning and, the, and feel the, the fire's burning. Have a little talk with Jesus. He'll make it all right. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything. Not a little thing. Not, not some things. Not most of the things. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So the response, when there are times the panic, when we are struggling, the response to panic is prayer. And then you keep praying. Praying without ceasing. Don't just pray one time and think it's all good. Sometimes the prayer is not about the situation. Sometimes the prayer is to help you. And you got to keep doing it. Just like you got to keep exercising. Just like you got to keep eating right. Just like you got to keep reading your word. Just like you got to keep fasting. Just like you got to keep coming to church. Just like you got to keep working in the church. You can't just do one time and then back off and wonder what happened. The proper response to panic is prayer. And so Jacob prayed. And after the prayer, he tried to make a payment. Let the church say payment. Uh, that same night, it says in verse 22, is the night Jacob has spent assembling an elaborate gift for his brother. 200 female goats, 22 male goats. Uh, uh, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milch camels and colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. That's all found in 30, uh, chapter 32, 14 through 15. Everything he had, he was trying to send. And he was sending this large gift because he was trying to deflect his anger. Sometimes we can't buy our way out of situations. Sometimes when the struggle comes, we can't just write a check and make it go away. And if we could write a check and make it go away, things might be just a little worse. If we could just pay everything off, that might be worse. Sometimes we need to learn our lessons. And so Jacob was having a lesson that he needed to learn, but he tried to pay it away. Uh, and we move from a payment to the power struggle. Let the church say power struggle. Uh, it's in this, this state of utter isolation that Jacob is in that he is this, he's, uh, uh, assaulted by something that the text would, uh, identifies in English simply as a man. Uh, but a, a more accurate translation of that would have been a God man. And, and, and it's traditionally understood to be a divine being. 
And although it's not explicitly stated in the text, this man wrestles uh, with Jacob until daybreak. And something that I've learned about the struggle is that uh, I I see in this text, uh, Jacob was minding his own business and the struggle came to him. Sometimes we'll be minding our own business and that phone will ring with some mess that we was not expecting. Sometimes that coworker is going to come down our hallway and put that drama in our life that we had no, nothing. Sometimes our children will flip a switch and be completely different people than we think we are raising. These things will happen and we may not understand it and we may not understand where it comes from, but we got to understand that sometimes trouble is going to find us. They say that we are either in a storm, going through, we are either going through a storm, going into a storm, or going out of a storm. And if you are not in that, keep on saying good morning. Sooner or later, it's going to come down your road. Life is not supposed to be peaches and cream. Life is not going to Bible says the man born of a woman. Days are few and full of trouble. The Bible says that uh, many are the afflictions of a righteous, but the Lord will, will carry us through them. The Bible says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work in you, that you may be perfect and complete and lack nothing. It's not going to be all smiles. It's not going to be all gravy. It's not going to be everything we want. We are going to have to deal with some struggles. Yes. I, I think about that when I, when I, uh, when I talk to people and we uh, run into the, the issue of theodicy. Uh, big old $5 seminary word about why the bad things happen to people. And I think about it and, and they, 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 there's always this argument that if God is all powerful, that God can't be all good. And if, if God is all good or all powerful, why do bad things happen to people? Okay. And, and I think about that and I, I hate to ask, answer a question with a question, but when I think about God and then bad things happen and I think about everybody's own personal lives and I'll just ask a question you ain't got to answer it but uh, uh, for those of us who have children do your children do everything you want all the time did you do everything your mama and daddy did all the time wanted all the time well if you don't do everything your parents want and your children don't do everything you want. Why is it that you expect God to do everything? We have free will. And some people just do bad things. And we are just going to have to deal with those struggles as they come day to day. He was minding his own business and the fight came to him. But the good news is that weeping may endure for a night. But joy shall come in the morning. That weeping may, but joy shall. That weeping might happen, but that joy will happen, and that joy will not be based upon how much money you got in your pocket. That joy will not be based upon how many friends you think you have or don't have. That joy will not be based on what kind of car you drive or what kind of clothes you wear or how many degrees you have or how many letters you have behind your name. That joy will be based upon your relationship with God. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away. The struggle is going to come to you sometimes. And something else that I noticed about Jacob while he went through this struggle is that even though uh, he went, not only did he have that struggle come to him, that struggle came to him and he was alone. 
Sometimes we're going to have to go through stuff by ourselves. Yeah. That's just the way it is. People got their own lives to deal with, and some people ain't as close as we thought they were. It could be either or. It ain't their fault. But you can't expect everybody else to do something for you. How else are you going to grow? Sometimes we are going to have to go through some troubles alone. But it's the struggle that makes us stronger. It's the response to the trauma that makes us stronger. I've been looking at exercising and lifting weights, and I, I find it interesting when I look at workouts because the workouts actually tear your muscles. And then you get stronger because your body comes in and repairs the tears and makes them that much stronger. That's why there, there are people who have come back from injuries when they've torn tendons or, or broken arms. The one that's been broken comes back stronger than the one that's never been broken. When you've been through a little something, you learn to appreciate it a lot more. My very first car was an 80, uh, 89 Hyundai Excel. But because I bagged groceries for a year to pay for it, I took care of it. I didn't drive it reckless. I didn't, I didn't go all over the place with it. Because I understood what it took to drop an engine in a car, I wasn't finna drive it around like I was on Fast and Furious. Because I understood what it took to drop a, drop a transmission in, I didn't, I didn't grind the gears when I shifted. When you appreciate something, you, when you've worked to earn it, you appreciate it that much more. Amen. Jacob went through the struggle, and not only did Jacob go through the struggle alone, he didn't complain about it. I don't see anywhere in the text where he talks about, woe is me. Why is this happening to me? I can't get off my feet. Uh, this, I, I got bad luck. I'm bad with people. I'm, no, none of that happened. Jacob saw the fight. And he fought. The fight, the fight came to him and he fought. And, and, and so we have to understand that. And the truth be told, even if you complain, most people ain't going to care no way. They, 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 might, they might sit there and nod and look concerned and they thinking, did I leave the iron on? I'm going to stop by Ziggler's and pick up a loaf of bread. I need some milk. And Oh, oh well, I'm going to pray for you, brother. Now, We're going to have some struggles, and I'm not saying where we don't have to vent. We need people to vent to, but understand that everybody ain't going to care what's going on. So Jacob went through this struggle. The struggle came to him. He wasn't asking for it, but it came to him. He had to go through it alone, and he didn't complain. And the last thing I noticed about this struggle is that when Jacob was fighting, he practically lost the match, but he did not let go. And not only did he not let go, he was fighting for a good reason. Yes. Uh, the text says, basically, seeing that he was evenly matched, the man struck him on the hip socket and put his hip out of joint. And, 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 and Jacob, Jacob refused to let go. When you are fighting for the right reason, you will fight that much harder. Amen. When you are fighting for something that is noble, something that is good, something that is pure, something that is godly, you will fight for the right, you will fight harder than you've ever fought before. As long as you are fighting for the right reason, uh, that motivation will, will carry you. Uh, when we fight for the right reason, we will hold on. And it didn't matter that he had practically lost the match. 
He was not going to let go until he had a blessing. He realized what the situation was going on. He realized who he was wrestling against. And he may not have realized fully who he was wrestling against, but he realized that he was wrestling against somebody that was greater than himself. And he decided, I'm going to stay here till I get that blessing. He didn't decide to give up at the, at the beginning. He didn't decide to wrestle for a minute or so and then decide I'm done with it. And sometimes we have to be like that when it comes to the things of God. We can't just pray one time and think it's over. We can't just fast one time and think it's over. Sometimes we have to tarry. Sometimes we have to pray until our knees hurt. Sometimes we have to sing. We have to pray and cry until our voice is hoarse. Sometimes we got to hold on because it's going to take that much work to get through the struggle. And so Jacob got through this challenge and he got a wound from it. His name was changed to Israel uh, because he struggled with God and with man and prevailed. And this was not just about Jacob by himself. This was about the entire nation of the people of God. We talk about being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that Jacob was changed to the name Israel. And those people of God were called Israelites. Uh, this was not just about a whole, this was not just about a singular fight. This was about the struggle of the people of God. And if we get, if we are to get what we want, it's going to be a struggle. If we are to get the things that we need, it's going to be a struggle. And Jacob, he, he got his name changed because he struggled and prevailed even against divine odds. And the biblical name, some translations mean God, El God, persi- God persists or God perseveres or let God persevere. And, and, and that El made, made, a, made a big point in it. And, and, and the fact that he was Israel and, and he saw the face of God. And something that I noticed about Jacob with this wound, he had this wound, this scar that was a reminder of what he had been through. And he walked with a limp. And he went on to still go towards Cain. But something that I noticed about it is Jacob said he saw God face to face. Uh, he saw God face to face. And, and then it says that he had he, 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 he it on in the text. that says just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. It's a little different than when he saw God in the dream. Uh, at Bethel, he made an altar there. And people make altars to remind themselves of something uh, during these times. But here, Jacob had this struggle. He saw God face to face, but he didn't build an altar. He saw God face to face and understood that he had been changed. He saw God face to face, but there was no need for a reminder for him to need. There was no need for a reminder or some sort of help or some sort of aid to remind him about what God had done for him. Uh, He didn't need to build anything to remind himself of it. It it, it was a reminder. It was an experience that he could not let go of. He didn't need for the pastor to pump him up. He didn't need for the choir to sing his favorite song. He didn't need the building to do that. He had seen and experienced God face to face. He didn't need to sit on his favorite pew. He didn't need to get to church without traffic. He saw God face to face and understood what was going on. And he had that wound to remind him 
that he needed to press forward. He was still moving forward on that wing, and that's how we ought to be. So we don't need, we need to experience God face to face. We don't need to hear our certain song, our certain liturgy. We need to be able to get close to God and hang on to him and not let go. And so he had this wound. And because he had this wound, he still moved forward. And that was a constant reminder of what was going on. And I'm reminded of some other wounds that remind of what's been done for us. I'm reminded of some nail-sized wounds in a hand. I'm reminded of some corn, of some crown of thorn-sized wounds on a head. I'm reminded of some fist prints on the face. I'm reminded of a crick in a back from carrying a 300-pound cross all the way to Calvary. I'm reminded of a sword being pierced in the side. These wounds remind me of what's been going on. Touch your neighbor by the hand and tell him I may be wounded, but I'm still walking. I may have struggled, but I'm still stepping forward. I may have scars, but I will still succeed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The doors of the church are open. 